Hi, I'm Margie Krakowski with Right Harima Architects Chair of Programs. Co-chairs also Megan Marshall with Jones Lang LaSalle and uh, Tony Smaniato with Studley uh, could not be here today and helped us assemble the program. So I wanted to give a shout out to Tony and thank him. Uh, our final luncheon program is next month and uh, which will focus on the integration of real estate and logistics with panelists from Whirlpool, Caterpillar, and JLL. Uh, today's program is also being podcast and posted to the website. If you have your MCR, you receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend. And Beth uh, and Chris have a sign-up sheet by the registration desk. And again, as Dan said, we encourage your feedback. Please fill out your surveys at the end of the program. Today's topic, our annual installment of the year in retrospect with a glimpse of what's new. Our moderator today, Jim Karras, Senior Managing Director of CBRE, is a member of the Chicago Regional Executive Management Team and co-leads the Occupier practice, including tenant representation, transaction consulting, and global corporate services. He also oversees the Chicago and Bannockburn offices for the firm, and with over 23 years of experience in real estate and backed by a JD and MBA, Jim has su successfully led integrated multidiscipline teams in his commitment to providing his clients unparalleled world-class service. Jim will be providing uh, further introductions on each of our speakers. Uh, so please welcome to the stage our distinguished speakers, Mike Whistler, Cal Westman, Mark Pesquela, Damla Gerhardt, and Carrie Fitzpatrick. Thank you. Thank you, Margie, um, Megan, Dan, and Tony as well. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to just take a quick poll because uh, when we were coming up with the, the plan for uh, this panel and the discussion of looking back on 2012 and doing a slight forecast on 2013, we thought and, and asked the question to ourselves as to uh, would it be odd if we had an all-CBRE panel, which is kind of a rarity. So for those, anybody in the audience, did anybody else ask themselves the question, please raise your hand if you thought it was a little bit odd that we were all CBRE. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, so the, the logic behind it was that um, we were bringing together multidisciplinary teams of, of different uh, aspects of what work we do in the region. So we brought um, a landlord leasing rep from, this, from the suburbs, a tenant rep from the city, um, a multi-site national and international uh, transaction lead uh, from uh, obviously from based in Chicago but handling transactions all over the world, uh, specialist in workplace strategies, and also uh, project management lead. And we thought that would bring a, a nice diverse perspective to um, what's happened in the past, but also um, with, with the CBRE culture, we are very frank with each other. We uh, have some pretty lively conversations and thought we could, uh, we could show you some of that as well and, uh, and would hope that it would be a, a more lively, more uh, involved and rich discussion for y'all. So appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, first off, I want to introduce Mark Pasquella, who's an executive vice president with the firm. And since 1989, he specialized in providing tenant representation and strategic portfolio real estate solutions to multi-market uh, uh, corporate clients. Mark co-leads a team of 12 professionals um, who are currently dedicated to providing outsourced, process-driven real estate portfolio services to corporate uh, international clients. Uh, some of his clients include Allstate, 
Eastman Kodak, Schneider Electric, Career Education, John Deere, U.S. Foods, and GE. Last year, uh, Mark and his team uh, transacted in excess of over 400 transactions, um, which I think is clearly indicates their specialty and process and uh, also the understanding of corporate approvals and, and uh, uh, portfolio efficiencies. Uh, next we have to Mark's left is Cal Westman. Many of you know Cal. He's uh, been with CBRE since 1984. Um, let me get to his picture here. And uh, that picture is from 1984, I think. <laughs> uh, Cal, <laughs> Cal is uh, recognized as one of Chicago's leading tenant rep uh, specialists. He specializes in large, complex transactions and is, is skilled in negotiating and creating some of the most aggressive transactions in the Chicago area. Um, he's been the Office Broker of the Year and finalist in, in, and won the NAOP Transaction of the Year Award as well as being finalist uh, other times in, in both those areas. Uh, his clients include Google, uh, the recent Motorola Mobility Transaction down at the Merchandise Mart, CDW, and Blue Cross. Next, we have Kerry Fitzpatrick, and uh, Kerry is our Director of Project Management. And uh, what we do at CBRE is a little bit unique in the project management realm as it relates to our clients on the occupier side and the tenant rep side. Kerry is, and her team is embedded with the transaction, with the, the, um, uh, uh, the tenant rep side of the business and sits with the tenant rep brokers and advises us on um, various transactions, doing due diligence, as well as uh, finishing off through the, the lease negotiations and through the process of, of uh, project management as well. Um, she's provided invaluable service to our tenant rep teams and, and our, uh, our transaction management teams. Uh, she's 20 years of experience in design and technical quality control on the project side. And she's uh, got diversified experience with all various clients of corporate law, financial, nonprofit, educational technology firms. Some of her clients include Chicago Title, ABN AMRO, Cranes, DLA Piper, and KCURA. Next is Domla Gerhardt. Domla is the newest member of our team. She's our specialist in strategic uh, workplace, uh, and she's uh, the, that, the director. She comes to us from JLL recently, about six weeks ago, I believe. And she is one of the most high demand people in our, in our office at this point. Um, it's something I will, will detail uh, quite a bit today, is, uh, is the, the change in desire for workplace strategies and the need for our clients to drive more efficiency, but also to affect culture and brand in their organization. Um, I'm also a client of Domla's as well, as uh, we are at CBRE looking at our, uh, at our own portfolio now of five offices in the Chicago area and deciding what we're going to be doing over the next uh, five to ten years. So Domla is a key consultant to, to us. Um, on, the, uh, on the management side. Um, next is Mike Whistler. Mike is based in our Bannockburn office and handles uh, leasing and sales for uh, various clients and office buildings around uh, the suburban markets, both the Northwest and the North Market. Um, he is a senior vice president, and uh, he has got, uh, if I didn't say it already, over 20 years of experience. You can't tell by his picture either. And... Uh, He's um, handled various clients, including Goldman Sachs, Lincoln Properties, Allstate, Eagle Test, and Walgreens. So we've got a wide variety of, of uh, uh, experience here. And we wanted to start talking about um, you know, the, uh, the perspective on what's happening in Chicago. So some of the stats we have up on the, uh, 
on the screen here are provided by um, our friends at World Business Chicago, which is indicative of the fact that um, we have a very large market area. When they're put this way, you see how big we are. We're bigger than uh, actually a couple of countries uh, in Europe. And the importance of the trends we see here, we see permeating through other markets as well. And um, to that end, I wanted to ask Mark, uh, Mark, being um, multi-site, national and international uh, TM lead, do you see the, some of the trends that we're seeing here with large corporations relocating back into the city or technology really taking a lead on adding more space and, and really growing? Um, do you see that happening in other markets, and do you see that across the globe as well? Okay. You threw me a curveball because I thought we were here to dissect the Google deal with Cal, <laughs> so, which I want to learn about. Um, it's a really hard question to answer, and here's why. Every industry is different. Every client is different. And <clears throat> they all have different drivers. Um, e e executives uh, have different opinions on being in the city, not being in the city. Um, the overall theme that we have seen, and this is more even of a global perspective, is that yes, um, city-centric is definitely in fashion. The majority of clients want to have a presence where they can, and it gets down to access labor, they can be greener in a city because they're not commuting, they can take advantage of public transportation, all the reasons that all of us in this room know, but not everybody can do it. It's just not that easy. Um, we're working with a client right now that's in suburban Boston. Would they like to be downtown Boston? They would. It's a 250,000-foot office deal. The, it's double the expense to be downtown. So there's a reality associated with pursuing you know, city centers. Um, so I would say, yes, it's happening. Uh, if I were an investor, I'd be comfortable in the cities. I don't think it's the end of the suburbs like some have predicted. Um, many of you may have seen Allstate tore down a building in South Barrington, 500,000 square feet. Um, there, were, there were no buyers, there were no users for that building. Um, we would love to have had Cal's tenant. There was no interest, right? Th these types of tenants, and there's some big tenants in the market, as we all know, no interest in going to South Barrington. So that's representative here locally. Um, and then uh, kind of the last point, key markets, Boston, San Fran, Vancouver, really hot. Technology's hot. It's a, absorbing space there. Um, so then you have a number of um, now suburban pockets starting to fill in because you just can't get into those markets right now. So it's kind of good for the immediate surrounding suburban areas and hopefully it will begin to continue to migrate back out. Thanks. Um, a little more information for everyone. And this, this is a question for Cal, uh, talking about the CBD statistics and, and perhaps for Mike as well. Um, again, you, you see some of the companies over the years have moved, had moved out to the, the suburbs, now moving back to the city. Others are you know, historically in the suburbs, such as MMI, and um, moving into the city now in the merchandise mart space. What what do you see, again, to, to build on what Mark was talking about, what do you see the main drivers for that? And what types of clients are, are, are doing that? Well, you know, Mark mentioned Boston. And Chicago, unlike Boston, doesn't have a big spread between downtown and suburban rental rates. There's definitely a spread, but it's not you know, a deal killer. So I, I think that's less part of the equation. Um, clearly, what's driving the demand in the city is that's where the employees want to be. 
especially the younger employees. Um, other factors, transportation costs are significantly higher now than they were, say, 20 or 25 years ago when a lot of these big companies built suburban office campuses. You know, it wasn't a big deal for people to spend time or money traveling from the city 30 miles out to the suburbs to a big suburban campus. It's a different situation now. But really, the driver, Jim, is downtown is where the talent wants to be in certain key industries. And even though we've had kind of a soft labor market, in certain industries for the top talent, there's still fierce competition. And people want to locate their businesses and, and have an office space that is a selling point and a recruiting point for these companies. Well, how do you... Go ahead. Well, I was going to, I agree with him that the rent differential probably isn't there enough where people say, hey, gee, we should be in the suburbs. But when you layer everything else in, um, travel time, the cost to park, wages, and so forth, I think when all of that gets layered on, it's going to start to, to be a, a little bit tougher of a decision. And as rents grow in the city and they drop in the suburbs, I think there'll be a big enough spread where you might see a little backlash towards the suburbs. And as the only suburban guy here, I'm lonely up here. Um, I was a little surprised I got invited. Um, I didn't know if this was an intervention. People were going to tell me my career is dead, but um, the suburbs are not dead. Now, do you think um, technology will have an effect on that? And, and, and the reason I ask is because when Cal pointed out, and this may be a question for Donald as well, Cal pointed out that people are going for culture and maybe a younger work, work environment and what have you. Those of us who are older and you know, uh, more up in years in their careers, um, maybe living in the suburbs, maybe prefer to have a short commute, maybe um, uh, able through technology to be housed in the suburbs in smaller maybe satellite offices. Do you see that being a trend? And if so, uh, how will that affect the culture of, an, of, you know, of a corporation? I, th I think it's a uh, trend, but it's spotty. You know, you look at Walgreens and Deerfield, you know, you got a lot of satellite companies or satellite offices, they're vendors that are, need to sell to them. And so you get some 5,000, 6,000 square foot offices. But um, I'm kind of hoping, Jim, that, you know, there'll always be a need or a satellite office in the suburbs for sure. Right. And I would just add to that um, some of the, I guess, challenges we've seen with doing a satellite office versus a headquarters in the suburbs is from the research that we've done with companies that put the big headquarters out in the suburbs and the satellite office in the city for the younger folks to come commute to, the biggest challenge they say is, well, you know, if I'm going to spend the time to get ready for work and go into the office, I need to be where senior leadership is. I want to get mentored. I want to have career opportunities. So I'm going to go out to that suburban office, even though there's one right here for me. So I don't. I think that solution has to be thought about very carefully, um, just to make sure you're not creating that situation. Right. Jim, I think we're seeing a broader demographic change as well, in that younger people aren't automatically moving out to the suburbs now as they did in the past. So more people are staying in the city. That's going to continue to drive businesses to locate in the city. And you also look at where you know where are the college students. Had a great stat from Dan at World Business Chicago. Um, Chicago is the biggest college town in the state of Illinois. Nobody thinks of Chicago as a college town, but there are 65,000 students in downtown Chicago. That's a great base. And that's another huge thing that is driving employers into the city. They want the best students coming out of these colleges, the best engineers, um, and they're downtown. Is there a certain part of the city that's a hotter market than another? I think a lot of these companies, you know, their ideal situation would be, you know, a, a, 
a large loft space in a creative area like River North. Um, there's not a lot of product. That's one of the issues the market's facing right now, uh, especially for the larger users. Um, the options that are available to them tend to be more traditional office space. Right. So I think we might see new development that happens that is geared not towards a traditional glass and steel skyscraper, but something smaller, more creative. Uh, one gee whiz story. Uh, my colleague Rob Weber and I were approached <clears throat> maybe six weeks ago by a client we've worked with for years and years and years. And they're not headquartered in the city. And they have a very young workforce now. Um, it's, it's changed. And that workforce all lives downtown. And there's no intent by these senior executives to move the headquarters downtown at this time. It's just, there, there's really no intent. However, uh, there's a grassroots movement in place by these 20-somethings. And these happen to be 20-somethings in this organization that are up-and-comers. You know, they're in the strategy side of the business, the procurement side of the business. They're making their rounds. They've been tagged as future executives of this firm. And for these folks to have reached out to us and said, we want to build a case. We have an audience with the CEO, which they do have, which we made sure that was true. Um, and we said, sure, we'll help, you. we'll help you provide data to you I mean, so that you can make the argument that you want to make. And I will tell you, it's a really compelling argument why they want to come downtown. And we don't know if they will be successful in convincing this group. Um, but if so, I would say that, again, is really representative of, of this, this topic, what we're talking about, and it's that labor force. If they want to keep these employees, our guess is they're going to have to do something to accommodate them. It might be more of an alternative workplace solution. We'll talk a little bit about that, but um, they'll have to do something. I think living downtown and commuting to the suburbs right now is not going to be sustainable for these younger employees, and even ones coming out of college. Is that a, uh, what type of firm is that, manufacturing firm? It's a global manufacturing firm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So are we seeing a difference, in, in perhaps this is for Dama, are we seeing a difference in the type of firms that are moving down that, that are more concerned about workplace strategies, more efficient space, or is it across the board? Honestly, I would say no. It's across the board. I mean, the clients that we've worked with you know, over the last several years run the gamut in terms of the industries that they're coming from. I think everyone's facing the same challenges around attraction and retention, around the fact that technology has gotten so much better and information security has gotten so much better, which was always a big concern about not having people be in the main office. All of that stuff all those things that were major challenges before are not necessarily there anymore. So I, I mean, if I think of all the clients over the last several years, it's seriously every industry. Can I offer the counterpoint? Please, <laughs> please. Um, a lot of the growth in our own team is related to nonprofit associations. And we have two or three clients in the suburbs, Northbrook, Elk Grove, Downers Grove, who are actually doing build the suit work. Their workforce, uh, their average person is me. It's 42 to 50 years old, um, living in the suburbs with a family grown or otherwise, and really they're lifers with those organizations. Their goals are be to be closer to the airport because they're servicing their doctor members. They're all medical associations, happy coincidence or not, but they're all coming into O'Hare for two or three days of education programs. And so they... They have the conversation in the preliminary meetings about should we or shouldn't we, AMAs downtown, do we want to be downtown by them, whoever it might be. And ultimately, when they 
test the board, test the membership, the driver's not there. So um, so they're staying downtown. They tend to own their they're buildings. They're staying in the suburbs. I mean in the suburbs, I'm yeah. sorry. Mm -hmm. They tend to own their buildings. They own their buildings. Wow. They're going to sell their buildings. They're building new, bigger buildings with sophisticated education uh, simulation centers in, in some of the cases, and uh, or at least conferencing facilities. Mm -hmm. What uh, What is that still the trend? Do you see that changing in 2013? Or... I don't see it changing. We had a in one of our market meetings recently. There was conversation about sale leaseback, similar to um, Warrenville and our client in Warrenville. I don't know if we're naming names, so I won't. Um, but I think for the most part, they're in it for the twenty-year investment for that property. It's you know forty-five thousand feet, fifty thousand square feet of building. Right, and Jim, you have to be in the suburbs if you want to own a building of that size. Right. So I think part of that movement we saw of associations going out to the suburbs was driven by the fact, okay, if we own our own building, we're not going to pay property taxes because we might be a 501c3, but how do you own a 50,000-foot building in downtown Chicago? There aren't many. So part of it could be driven by the, the, the economics that are unique to an association. Well, absolutely, and that's, that's a certain sector of the business, right, obviously. Right. But but getting, getting to that point of ownership of buildings or building new buildings, we know the Heinz building is proposed to be built. Um, we've got a lack of product over the last several years. Although we're showing a 13%, 13, close to 14% vacancy downtown, how do you see the next several months, the next year, year and a half going? Considering we don't have any new product, we're seeing some vibrancy with regard to what you're talking about, although although some tenants, when they relocate or they're looking for alternative spaces, may be downsizing because of these issues. How do you, how do you see the, the lack of new product affecting what's going to be happening? Well, the statistics, and what has happened you know, for I mean, the last this, year and a half? The statistics have been pretty positive. I mean, you've had positive absorption for eight of the nine last quarters. Uh, but if you look at it, vacancy is still close to 14%. The absorption numbers, while they're positive, are really weak when you compare them to like some of the robust years we've had downtown. And then it seems like in Chicago you have some great absorption, but then you'll have like a big financial services company will say, okay, we're going to give back 500,000 square feet, which is like adding a new building right. to the market. So there's been a recovery, um, and I think it's going to continue, but it's kind of like the national economy. It's a very kind of tepid recovery. So does Chicago ever really see great spikes or great troughs? You know, not like the coasts. Right. Um, you know, we're not going to see like 10 or $20 a foot rent spikes. I mean, it's positive. I think the vacancy is going to continue to decrease. We're going to continue to see positive absorption. Um, the drivers for a new building are typically not because we're out of space. It's because, you know, Kirkland and Ellis decides they want to be in a new building instead of renewing at the Aon Center. And I think we'll see that. That gives the market the ability to kick off, say, one more building in this cycle. Um, but it's not going to add a ton of supply. That's offset by the fact that we're not seeing huge positive absorption. So kind of slow, steady recovery. Right. And we're not seeing, uh, as you can see, not much change in rental rates either. But you're seeing, Mark, San Francisco, for example, we had talked about this. There's some rent rage going on, right, in the downtown areas of San Francisco. Are you seeing, uh, do you think we will see the same thing in Chicago over a period of time with this lack of, of uh, new space? 
to be built, or is it just still this slow lumbering process? You know, my perspective on Chicago is limited. It really is. So um, what I see uh, within the firm, the transactions that are happening in the industry right now, I would say I agree with Cal. I mean, I think it's going to tighten. I think great space is going to get gobbled up, but I've been around long enough never to have witnessed that significant trough, Peak and Valley, Mm -hmm. that that Cal mentioned on the coast. So it's a little more steady, Eddie. I think we're in a really good place right now in Chicago. We've got great momentum. I mean, clearly, with the mayor behind us and two new TV shows about Chicago, right? We're (laughs) we're like, we're right there. I mean, let's let's take advantage. And the Google thing and everybody else, um, there's a lot of positive momentum right now uh, in the city. And I think Everybody needs to leverage that right now, uh, clearly. I actually had the privilege, um, one of our clients moved into 231 South LaSalle, and while they were not able to seek incentives for uh, their business growth that literally over the last two years has gone from 13,000 square feet to 97,000 square feet, uh, and plans to take an additional floor probably in the next calendar year, the mayor did come and speak at their all-staff meeting, and it was the week that Heinz had applied for the site permit, and he was pumped. Yeah. And Emmanuel is up there, you know, talking about his education and kids stuff and getting his politics in, but he, he slid in there. We just this week got our first application for a non-residential building, and he's pumped to get people down here. Right, absolutely. He's been very, uh, very aggressive, very positive. Um, what's, um, let me go to another slide since that one's kind of boring, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These are some of the stats we're seeing as well, and this is, this is an interesting slide, and, and it ties into what you're talking about, and I think uh, with the mayor's initiatives and uh, World Business Chicago's initiatives around historically, and Cal and Mike, please uh, talk about this, um, financial services, law firms have really been the drivers of space in the city, and then in the suburbs, it's been manufacturing, mid-caps. Um, couple, three years ago, five years ago, you didn't see these types of numbers with technology or advertising and marketing, which is also related to technology anymore. Um, is, do you see that trend continuing in the city? And do you see, and, and, and what are the main factors behind that? Yeah, I definitely see it continuing. If you look at you know, what traditionally have been the drivers of demand for space downtown, it's been big law firms, big financial services firms. And those firms, the biggest ones, almost across the board, are reducing their space. They're getting more efficient, uh, and they may have less employees. Um, So they're still out there. That slide, I think, is a little misleading because there's a big base of law firms and financial services firms downtown. So they're always going to occupy a big slice of the pie there. But where we're seeing the growth is in the small to medium-sized businesses. I mean, that's where most of the new jobs are being created. A lot of those are within technology, you know, tech companies or digital marketing companies or electronic trading firms. Um, So there are a lot more examples of companies who, you know, had 50 people and occupied 10,000 square feet and now they're at 120,000 square feet. And that's really what's been driving demand. I think that's going to continue. The law firms and financial services firms will always be out there and be big, important components of the market, but they're not going to be growing 25%. Right. And I think that's what's scary when you look at the suburbs. You don't have those 5,000 square foot tenants that are going to leap into a 25,000 square feet in a short period of time. So that is the one scary aspect of the suburbs, not having those gazelle type companies that are going to explode. 
Well, switching gears a little bit and talking about the suburbs, um, I know you uh, work on the sale and lease of buildings. Do you are you seeing any relief as far as uh, the capital structures for landlords, their their financial situations with buildings, or is it getting worse out in the suburbs? I wouldn't say worse. I I think that there's still quite a few zombie buildings out there that are in workout receivership. You know, can you get a transaction done? Can't you? And I think tenants, for the most part, are avoiding those type of assets. Um, it seems like the uh, special servicers have finally decided to maybe start working through some of this stuff. So we're slowly but surely seeing some of these buildings. And it's a lot more note sales than asset sales. So they sell the note, and the note buyer uh, does the foreclosure. But there's still quite a bit of that hanging around in the suburbs. Um, but I would say the real trend is, is towards the Class A market. That's where we've seen most of the absorption, most of the velocity, and you know, instinctively you go, well, geez, that's just, uh, that's just a flight to quality. Uh, but I think it's something more deeper than that, and love to get your, your take on it, everybody up here. But it seems like companies are, hey, we're going to smaller spaces, but you know what? We're going to go into the best building that we possibly can, best amenities, best location. Um, and then secondly, I think that uh, some tenants have had bad experiences with uh, uh, landlords and had trouble with... Um, uh, maintenance and those sort of things. So they're seeking out landlords that are well capitalized uh, and typically those are in the Class A market. So that's where we've really seen the activity. That's where we will uh, see some rent growth actually, believe it or not, is in the suburbs in the Class A market. Uh, Class B is still really, really painful, uh, especially if you've got a commodity type building in the suburbs. There's just not a lot going on and then you're battling you know, another Class B commodity type building for that tenant and it gets ugly in a hurry. Um, but what we're really seeing from the suburbs is, uh, on the tenant side, is tenants are still cautious in the suburbs. Um, if they've got time, they're taking all the time they possibly can to make a decision. And I think some of that is, is what we had talked about, was their in-between strategy on the workplace. They know they need to get smaller. You know, they want to get away from private offices to more of an open floor plan. But they're just stuck in the middle, and they don't really want to make that full commitment. And I, I think that that's leading to a lot of short-term renewals right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're seeing that in the suburbs or the, or the city, but companies really struggling with making that full commitment. I think um, they're not willing to go as dramatic as some of the other firms. Um, it's a stretch for them to go from an 8 by 8 cube to an 8 by 6 cube, much less to go to a benching station. So they're, they're not really saving on the square footage but the internal debate we continue to have is when I show you guys product, project cost data for suburban projects and downtown projects and on a, you know, pick a size of 40,000 square foot deal in the suburbs, it's still an all-in cost, about $20 a square foot less to do a suburban, you know, fees, construction, furniture, relocation costs. And then we get into the union, non-union debate. So I think... Um, they're, they're saving in a different way. I think people um, are not being cautious downtown. Uh, they're taking a lot of space. Yeah. God bless them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably the wrong way to, to put it. But I think they're much more being much more aggressive in their growth. And they're saying, <laughs> you know, downtown Chicago is a place where we want to invest a, a lot of money. Um, we're not necessarily seeing like a flight to quality from a, a building standpoint. Because a lot of these growing companies don't want to be in a super class A building. But we are definitely seeing a flight to quality as far as their space goes. They really want their space 
to create this experience for their workers that makes them be more productive, makes them want to come to the office versus working remotely, helps them differentiate versus their competitors. So you know, we'll get a, a, an allowance from a landlord to build out a space, and that may cover half or a third of the build-out costs. And now, versus 18 or 24 months ago, the tenants in the city, a lot of them are, are totally fine with writing a check for the balance and making that investment, because they really view it not just as an investment in space, but you know, we're creating this workplace that is really a huge part of who we are. So it's a culture, it goes to brand, it goes to retention. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's an investment in their business. I mean, I think right. they're viewing it not as a real estate cost, but as, hey, this, the survival of our company is predicated on creating this workplace that is just the best in our industry or really competes against the best. And if we don't do this, if we try to, to save and cut corners, you know, we're just not going to get the right people at our business. And you're seeing that across all industries. <coughs> Yes, I mean, certain industries, it's more pronounced, but it's really, I mean, you go in and talk with downtown tenants about workplace and everybody wants to talk about it. You know, it wasn't necessarily the case 18 or 24 months ago. That was survival mode. You know, now it's thrive mode. I think just to piggyback off on, on both of your points, um, the shift that we're seeing or the big trend that we're seeing is when an organization is looking at the design concepts around how they you know, build out their workplace strategy from a space perspective. They want to go beyond just, OK, let's get rid of private offices or reduce them and put them on the interior and put a couple of beanbag chairs and collaboration spaces, and we got it. They're really looking for the solution where you give employees a lot of choices around different types of space. And they can go to choose some of them or all of them on any given day based on what the type of work that they need to do. So it becomes less of an issue when you try to tell someone you're going from a 6 by 8 to a 6 by 7. And you're telling them you're going to have this kind of a space, that kind of a space. You, this is the quiet area. This is where you can collaborate. This doesn't need to be reserved. And all, all these different choices, that becomes a much more compelling value proposition for them. And they're more willing to buy into it. So I think, yeah, it's going beyond just the you know, less offices and whatnot, and that becomes an easier sell to, yeah. to employees if you can promise them more yeah. than just... And, and you still have the pushback because the, the individual departments, you know, whether it's the call center team or the research and development team, want that collaboration space. And then you go to the CEO and present the program to him, and he says, well, why do I want to put a bunch of tables out there? Nobody's going to be able to work. It's going to be all noisy. They're going to be sitting around, you know, shooting the stuff Breeze. all day. Breeze. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Keep forgetting I'm on a mic. <laughs> um, you know, and he, and he squashes it. So then you have to kind of come full circle and get C-suite connected to the staff. But so if you talk about the investment in your business, I, I think what many clients are looking at as well is an efficiency of space, too. So if they're relocating out of their old-fashioned space, they're looking for the reinvestment. They're looking at for that brand for the uh, attraction and retention. But they can also save on space, too, can't they? go for a reduced space, which then benefits them and run rate saves. and Right. Um, you know, but unlike, say, 10 or 15 years ago, it's not like, all right, we're going to hotel you and take away your personal space, and the company's going to save all this money. Isn't that great? Right. It's, hey, we're going to reduce the footprint, but we're going to outfit you with the best technology. Um, we're going to give you flexible work conditions so you can work remotely for two days a week. We're going to give you all these perks. You're going to have less of a footprint, but it's you know, increasingly, especially amongst younger workers, 
You know, they're not defined by, okay, I have to have this private office. You know, they'd much rather be totally mobile, have the best technology. So there's less pushback, I think, Jim, when it's combined with, you know, here's, here's what else we're going to do to help make you enjoy Please. work more, be more productive. Right. I, I am a little surprised to hear you say that tenants are willing to come out of pocket because, and Carrie jump in, but I don't see that in the suburbs. You know, a tenant really is looking to make a zero capital type move. You know, they want as much TI, tenant improvement allowances, as they can get, and they really don't want to come out of pocket, and they often get sticker shock when they factor in all the furniture and all the technology and the move costs, but um, it seems like they're almost willing to pay a little higher rental rate and get a bigger concession package, TI, free rent, and do you think that that's true in the city, that they're willing to pay a little higher rental rate for a bigger TI package, or they don't really care and they're coming out of pocket anyway? And um, I, mean, I mean, they're not jumping for joy that they're coming out of pocket right. for TIs. Um, don't get me wrong, but you know, to build space, if you're building space from raw conditions in the city, you know, you're not going to get an allowance from a landlord or developer that's going to cover those costs. So it's just it's flat out not going to happen. Um, you know, people are definitely being smart in how they manage those expenses. You know, these aren't extravagant build-outs, mm -hmm. but if you look at a build-out today and how much of it is like electrical or technology-based, it's so much more. It's not going into you know mahogany panels or marble flooring. Right, think, but to that, I think Mike, some of it um, depends on what's happening with that business. If it's someone who is relocating and unfortunately downsizing, I think you're right. If I'm getting a $65 TI, I want my construction to be $50 and my furniture to be $15. Um, but you know, and then we have all these law firms who are putting all this stuff out on for sublease in the market, but. I think it depends on, on what business. Cal has sure. these guys that are growing and by leaps and bounds, and I got guys who are sad and well, shrinking. And I, <laughs> you, you have my clients. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the corporate user, I agree. I mean, Cal, you, you do have a different perspective. The corporate user, nine times out of 10, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, capital's constrained. It just is. There's no capital for them to do anything. So there might be an initiative that is new uh, R&D center, downtown Chicago, downtown Boston. They're going to allocate capital, make the investment. It's a one-off deal. But from a portfolio perspective, um, it's still the same metrics, cost reduction, footprint reduction, and how do we get there. And, and I agree, it's not this, uh, there, there, there's more thought involved in what they're delivering. So they're delivering a cost-saving solution, but they're doing it with more thought, meaning they're designing workplace that actually facilitates and accommodates the needs of majority of the people, which they didn't do before. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you're exactly right. It was, it's a hotel concept, you're on your own, good luck, you know, stop in when you can. Well, now it's, it's very, very different. And, and I'll tell you, Allstate's a great example of a company that has really transformed. And you think of Allstate, and a lot of us know them here in Chicago. Um, what they're building in Northbrook right now is great stuff. And it's a combination of smaller permanent homes. It's, it's hoteling. It's touchdown spaces. Lots of collaboration. Great technology. What it enabled them to do was get rid of South Barrington, 
get rid of all of Vernon Hills and bring it all into their headquarters. Well, the tremendous savings. I mean, it, it, it got exactly what Tom Wilson was striving for, which was bring the footprint cost down. Um, so that's, that's a great example, I think, right here in our hometown of, of, of a company you wouldn't think would be as progressive with it. Um, that really, I think, hit the ball out of the park. And they love it. They're very, the employees are very, very happy with the environment. I was at a party <clears throat> over the weekend. I talked to a partner from uh, PwC. And he said he's been to his office once this year. Right? I mean, classic consultant. You're on the road. They're all over the globe. But just once, and he has a private office. You know, you think about that, and it's like, it can, that can't sustain itself anymore. So, Kerry, going to that point, when we're looking at these alternative workspaces, are you seeing construction costs increase, decrease? Um, we're giving more technology, right, to our right. employees. Right. But with that, is wireless saving costs from wiring facilities? Are we still doing the old-fashioned wiring, even though we're going to new technology? I, I think they, you know, do we need one cable per station? Do we need two cables per station? Well, if we do one, what happens if it fails? So we're still going to do two cables, and we're going to do wireless. But geez, what if, you know, what if it goes down? We still need backup. So. Um, I feel like the IT teams within the client side are still kind of confused on how to respond to those things. Um, and, and there's still always concern on how safe that wireless network is. Wireless internet, fine, we get that every day at, at Starbucks, but wireless network I think is still concerning. Um, most of the investment ends up going into an FF&E cost of, I'm going to use my laptop and Microsoft Link and have my phone in my laptop. Uh, more so than what's happening in the construction environment from a technology side. So no decrease in infrastructure costs as of yet? I, I would and, and I'm not talking I would, I would not say part. there's a decrease. Okay. There's a lot of contractors in the room who right. would be happy to know that things aren't <laughs> decreasing. Well, let me, let me follow up as, as sort of before we start taking questions. Um, one of the things I asked you yesterday was what what are you surprised about? What have you been surprised about this past year? Can I give year? the same answer? Or please, do I change my please answer? tell the truth. Um, um, so I, I told Jim the thing that surprised me the most this year is uh, even when, when we pitch, and I've been pitching for however long I've been pitching, the pitch was always, this is about building a relationship. We're here to be with you forever. This isn't a one-off <laughs> job for us. And I promise everybody in the room, every one of you are making that same pitch, um, including me. But it seems this year the relationship doesn't matter. Um, it really is about pricing. Um, I've seen it with the architecture firm. I've seen it with the general contractor. I've seen it with the furniture folks. We just built your last two spaces over the last 15 years, and you just decided not to hire us on this one. Why? Um, we've been your furniture provider for 20 years. You just decided not to go with our main line. Why? Um, so it, it does go back to that cost thing, I think, a lot of times. And, and to you know, point to furniture a little bit, I know there's a lot of furniture folks in the room. I think it's hard, even when you walk them through the merchandise mart, for them to see a beneficial difference between product because they don't understand the construction of it. They don't understand the warranties to it. And if we can get it in for 1500 a station instead of 2500 a station, I'm going to take the guy that's going to get it to me for cheaper because it's just furniture and it's just a seven-year lease. Um, so I think that's, that makes me sad. 
Um, but to our conversation, I don't think it's a trend. I hope it's not a trend. I hope it's just a snapshot of this particular point in the economy. And once we hit November, we can all move on with our lives. <laughs> That's great. Mark, um, any surprises this past year? Um, I guess broadly, I'm, what has surprised us is the number, and Michael touched on this, of buildings in trouble, special servicer controlled assets out there. And as you go across the country with a, a corporate portfolio, um, I don't have the stat, but it's, it's far too significant the number of buildings that we are talking to special servicers. They can't react to our needs. We want to renew. We want to do something early. We'll give you seven years. It's great credit. And they, and they can't respond to that. And I really thought that would have worked itself out through 2010, perhaps 11 at the latest. But it's lingering. And I, I see it going for a couple more years. It's very complex. Um, all the tentacles that that collateralized debt market has out there and how everything is intertwined. And, and these buildings just haven't freed up with fresh capital. And it's a reality, and it's, it's not necessarily a reality for the one-offs at the Merchandise Mart and things like that. But when you're doing a suburban 5,000-footer and they can't react, that's troubling you know, to us in, in Cincinnati. Pick, pick the market. Um, so that has really shocked me that we haven't found ourselves uh, th through that uh, uh, challenge yet. I hate to indict the special servicers, but it, it does seem a little fee-driven that they take so long to make a decision that uh, seems pretty basic and uh, seems like they should be cleaning up that mess sooner rather than later. But it, it's, I agree with you, Mark. It's dragged down way too long. I was hoping you would react to that. How about you? What surprises I, I think the, the surprises in the suburbs, uh, activity-wise, uh, kind of a barbell. Uh, you got a lot of action in that 5,000 and less, and then heavy on the 100,000 square feet. A um, lot of consolidations, a lot of tenants going from 170 to 120, uh, but still a lot of action on the, on the bigger transactions. It's the stuff in the middle that we've been surprised about. We really haven't seen the 15s, the 20s, the 30s uh, that we typically do. Um, other surprises, I think, from an investment side, um, all the investment uh, institutional interest has been in the CBD, and I, I think it's finally starting to dawn on, on these investors that the yields are, are pretty competitive and pretty low in the, in the CBDs, and you know the buildings look great on a brochure, but I think people are starting to slowly but surely uh, chase some yield um, and broaden their investment exposure and starting to take a look at the suburbs again, which... Uh, for a suburban guy is exciting to, to see the investors back in right. the suburbs. And you think that'll continue in 2013? You know, like I said, Jim, I think it's, it's partly driven just so much competition for CBD assets and, and the, the cap rates and the yields have gotten driven so low that whether it's reluctant or not, I think the investors are slowly but surely starting to return to the suburbs and some of the other secondary markets as well. Great. Adamla, besides uh, the surprise of CBRE being such a wonderful place to work, what... <laughs> What other uh, shocking it was? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, really, it's uh, the biggest surprise was how many companies are really looking to do what I would call version 2.0 of their workplace strategies. So um, you know, they implemented it five, seven, ten years ago, and you know, mobility tends to breed mobility, or there's new technology that's out there, and they're 
they're still looking for what else they can do. So a lot of our time has really been spent with clients who we would argue, you know, you guys are already doing it. This is fine. They're saying, no, we've got to optimize more. We've got to enable more and, um, you know, really focus on that. I mean, I think one, one example is, you know, you think of the, the accounting firms and, and the number of auditors and people that they have there, and they sort of were the pioneers of all this 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, we're working with them because they're, they're saying, okay, this model was great to your point 10 years ago, but now we need to do something different because every firm is exactly the same and the same issue of getting people right out of school who you know, want to be in the really exciting world of accounting. So I think part of it is you know, really they're trying to understand what else they can do. So version 2.0, version 3.0, it's the same companies coming back every few years saying, okay, what's next? What's, what are we going to do now? Relaunching their programs either as part of mergers, acquisitions, or other initiatives that they've got going around 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 the culture or brand, new branding, uh, that type of thing. So that's... And it's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Cal, how about you? Well, you, you came to me last, Jim, so all of the good surprises are gone. <laughs> so I'm going to have to tag along here on a couple of the ones that people mentioned already. Um, along with what Mark and Mike said, I'm shocked that there have been more buildings going back to lenders. You know, if you look back two or three years, we thought there would be you know, 30, 40% of these buildings would go back. They're just so far underwater. So I think people have just kicked the can down the road on that. Um, from the tenant perspective, um, along with what Damla said, um, it's just unbelievable how many companies are making workplace strategy just a critical part of their thinking, um, just everyday thinking, and especially when it comes to addressing the real estate requirements. I mean, there's just been a tidal wave of interest of that in that, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon. Fantastic. Um, from my perspective, I think one of the best surprises has been, um, although the growth has been slow and steady, the vibrancy of the Chicago region, not just in the CB, uh, CBD, but I see it out in Rosemont. You see some tightening up of space out there. You see it in the western suburbs, some of the northern suburbs, too. You know, that flight to quality, we're seeing some some capital sales take place that were stalled for a while. So it's, um, it's, I think, bodes well for 2013 and some real vibrancy around what we're doing, this business, uh, business government, um, and, and public sector um, partnership that's occurring right now, I think is really good for, uh, for the city of Chicago, for all of us in the room, and, and for, for the future of 2013. So with that, Margie? <laughs> maybe, we answered everybody's questions. Maybe, Cal, you want to tell us a little bit about the Google transaction? Oh, that's a great question. Where do I start? Um, you know, uh, you know, beyond the basics, um, you know, Motorola Mobility was bought by Google um, about a year and a half ago. Um, the company made the decision that to really kind of find the right kind of, I think in particular, engineering talent that they need to attract, that it made sense to be downtown, which is a pretty bold move considering the huge footprint they have in Libertyville and considering how far of a move that is, 40 miles. Um, but it, the, Google's a bold organization and not afraid to make those kind of moves. So it, you know, it was really driven by that. Um, 
that this is where we need to be for the kind of people that we view as the future of this organization. And so, what was the timeline, Cal? Start to finish? Six months. Wow. And what I think is interesting is they're vacating, what, a million one square, uh, million one hundred thousand square feet and going into what? About 600,000. 600,000. So they're enjoying a, uh, quite a bit of square footage reduction as yep. well. Yep. That's my, that's my corporate real estate hat coming out. Good math. Good <laughs> math there. Well, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so barring any other questions. Uh, I'll, I'll throw one out there. there. I know you guys represent now the other Motorola solutions as well. Uh, the terms of that deal is how much of this, these headquarters coming downtown, I don't know if you can answer this, are because Rom is pushing for these headquarters, big names to come downtown, just to have them on his, on his time or, or not. For instance, the, I mentioned the Motorola deal that's coming down, the solutions deal. They're, they signed a lease, they got the naming rights on the old Santa Fe building but they don't even know who's going downtown yet. So Dan, your question is? MSI. Right, so how much of it how, is? How much of it is just ROM, trying to get the companies to come downtown. You're hearing more headquarters coming downtown. How much of it is just that? I mean, it's, it's definitely playing a role. I mean, um, we've never had someone who has been proactively calling on companies and saying, here are the reasons why you should consider coming to downtown Chicago. Um, and it's not, um, the great news for the city is, it's not because, hey, we've got this open checkbook, what do you need to come down here? It's because, here, look at all the reasons why Chicago is thriving. You know, it's not a given, wasn't a given 10 or 20 years ago that Chicago was gonna be in the position that it is now. There are a lot of Midwestern Rust Belt cities that have not succeeded like Chicago has. So, but some great infrastructure put in place, and we have, a mayor who has a lot of C-level connections and is aggressive along with World Business Chicago and reaching out to those companies um, and saying, here, you gotta consider Chicago. And it's fantastic. I mean, it's really, people sense that. You know, Mark has a lot of clients who have suburban headquarters um, and, you know, for the first time ever, they're getting called on by people at the city saying, hey, consider having a branch of your company here. Here are the reasons that make sense. Um, and, and people, it sends a message to, I think, the business community that Chicago is very attuned to what is going to be, make it good conditions to run a business in the city. So I think it's extremely helpful. It's a, it's a real estate director's nightmare when the mayor of Chicago calls the CEO of your company and that CEO calls you as the real estate director and says, hey, I just got a call from the mayor. Let's start looking downtown. You know, it's one of those, uh, some of them are not prepared, but Cal is right. And, and our clients have been called directly by the mayor. Um, and he's giving a pitch to these people as to why they should come downtown. So I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's fascinating to watch him work right now. So we covered everything? Well, great. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you again to our speakers, and please remember to fill out your surveys.